Hi, this is Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of Medical Product Outsourcing, and I'm back once again for another episode of Mike on MedTech. Joining me as always, Mike Drews, President of Vascular Sciences. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm well, thank you. Thank you, Sean. So today's topic, we're going to continue with the, uh, the trend that we've been kind of adopting, which is to go uh, take a look at my previous editor's letter from the most recent issue of Medical Product Outsourcing. And that topic for this time was uh, my own personal holiday wish list for industry. Uh, so what that was, was basically I called out a few things that I'd love to see happen or at least uh, gain progress in 2019. 2019. Uh, the five items that I identified was an improved uh, image referencing the, the PR aspect of the industry, some of, the, some of the, uh, the black eyes that have come about in 2018. Uh, pain management technology successes, uh, seeing the, the pain technology devices uh, you know, improve upon the opioid issues that we're having. Uh, growth of value-based healthcare, which I believe is a, is a beneficial system for patients and I think uh, can be very beneficial to uh, device manufacturers as well. Uh, improvements in reimbursement and CMS uh, with regard to reform of, of that system. Uh, and finally, device tax repeal uh, to see a full device tax repeal and not just a, a yet another suspension. Uh, so whether or not those come to pass in 2019 or, or soon after, we'll see. But for today, we're just going to speak with Mike about a few of those items. And uh, Mike, if you don't mind, we'll start with that PR, uh, those black eyes that I mentioned. Um, you know, given recent events surrounding the medical device industry, uh, including the release of, we saw the bleeding edge in 2018, and more recently, we saw some published results of an investigation into medical devices that were deemed unsafe. What are the odds of, uh, of us getting this better image for the industry in 2019? Well, it's a great uh, question, Sean, and thanks for the opportunity to share some thoughts with you and your audience as always. Um, clearly, the medical device industry has been in the press a lot in the last weeks and months and even years. Some of that press obviously is positive. Some of it, not so much. Um, but uh, we, we all have to keep uh, in mind a couple of things. First of all, that overall, uh, I don't think anybody, including uh, the folks in the press, can dispute that um, medical devices, just like drugs, have done much more uh, good than, than harm. Um, the simple reality is that bad news sells. You know, good news doesn't sell. So when we hear reports, whether it's the uh, bleeding edge that we talked about before or the other uh, reports that you mentioned. And by the way, Sean, this is absolutely nothing new. Um, one of my favorite articles uh, talking about problems with medical devices goes back to 1971, five years before FDA started regulating medical devices in 1976, talking about um, uh, problems with medical devices in the hospitals. That was published in uh, Popular Mechanics magazine. So this is certainly not a new issue for those of us that have been playing this game for a while. But bottom line, look, I think it's very simple. One thing that all of us in this industry have to remember is when we get a 510K clearance, when we get a uh, de novo that's granted, when we get a PMA that's approved, when we get a CE mark, when we get an ISO blah, blah, blah certification, that simply is the academic equivalent of being a C student. 
That does not mean that we're making a good device or a safe and effective device. It simply means that we're passing. And uh, so one of the challenges that I would uh, pose to our industry in the future is our goal should not simply be regulatory compliance. That's, again, that's, that's the academic equivalent of, the, of setting your goal at being a C student. We should exceed that. You know, one of the things, um, and I'm, perhaps I've shared this with you uh, before, Sean, but one of the most common questions that I get from companies across the board, I get, I get this question you know, probably every week, sometimes even every day. Uh, somebody will come to me and they'll say, Mike, you, you work with lots of different companies as well as the FDA. Um, if we came to the FDA with our new medical device, what do you think they would want to see in terms of bench drop testing, animal testing, clinical testing, and so on? And I say, look, I understand why you're asking that question. I understand that that's an important question to you. But let's look at this from a completely different perspective. Let's pretend that FDA did not exist. Let's just take FDA completely out of the equation. Sooner or later, a family member, a friend, perhaps even yourself, is going to be on the receiving end of your medical device. When that day occurs, what would you, Sean, or me, Mike, or somebody in our audience want to see to put their sort of personal um, uh, endorsement to say that this product is okay to be used in my neighbor, in my friend, in my spouse, in my case, my three-year-old grandson? And then and only then should we go to the FDA and have an intelligent discussion about what's necessary to bring this device onto the market. It's a very different approach, Sean. I'll be honest with you. Most companies, most people don't think about it this way. They just look at, you know, what do I need to do to get this onto the FDA, uh, sorry, uh, through the FDA and onto the market. But uh, I think we can do a little better than that. Yeah, no, and, and honestly, I, I think you've mentioned that measuring stick in the past, and I do think it is a great one. Unfortunately, you're going to get, uh, you know, certain companies or certain individuals who see that as a, uh, you know, either too costly or, you know, too uh, rigid a, a, a benchmark or a, uh, you know, a, a measuring stick. But uh, I do agree with you that that's, that's an ideal one because you never know. You know, we, we work in an industry where, uh, you know, it could it, – any, any problem could affect anyone, and as a result, they could need any, uh, any number of, of devices to either be life-saving you know, life or life-preserving or just you know, daily treatment, such as you know, a chronic disease. Uh, so that's, that is a great measuring stick. Uh, but as you, as you mentioned, Sean, not always easy to sell within a company. You know, <laughs> trying, to, trying to convince a company uh, to do more than what is required, more than what is FDA, FDA is asking them to do, more than what is likely their competitors have done. As you can imagine, that's not an easy uh, thing to sell in an organization. So no, there are certain realities to this business. Certainly not. Uh, but on the flip side, getting back to the original question in terms of, of improving the industry's image, you know, if the, if the president of a company can come on and say, you know, we, we made this device so that, you know, my mother could use it. And as a result, my mother actually does use it or something like that. I mean, I don't want to spin it to, a, to a, everything to be a marketing. But, you know, right now the image for the industry is a little low. Uh, and it is, it is upsetting because, as you said, there's, there's exponentially more good done with, with devices that are released than are not. Uh, that said things that were, you know, mentioned or brought up in the bleeding edge and we discussed uh, 
extensively within the within three previous podcasts, uh, there were some eye-opening things that even I, you know, I've I've been covering the industry for almost 20 years. I know you've been in the industry for for longer than that and have a, a much closer look at the regulatory aspects. Some of the things I have to say were were enlightening to me. Um, so I was happy to see, uh, you know, some some action being taken, and that leads me into my next question, which was. Uh, that the FDA has uh, announced, and perhaps it's a result of things like the bleeding edge, or perhaps it was just on their agenda. Whatever the reason, they're they're revisiting certain policies, one of which is the 510K approval process. Uh, you know, what what do you do you see these effects happening from from you know these these documentaries or these reports, uh, or I should say, whether or not these are. I mean, what other ripples do you expect to see perhaps uh, such as the 510k uh, modification modernization well again it's a great question Sean Um, so people have been talking about the 510k program since it was created over over 40 years ago in 1976 Uh, is it overall good is it uh, overall bad Uh, Some in your audience may remember um, about six or seven years ago in 2011, the Institute of Medicine came out and basically said we should, um, FDA should throw the 510K into trash. Um, And that's literally what they said. And I've said publicly many times, I strongly disagree. I think the FDA, I'm sorry, I think the 510K program is a pretty good program. It is by no means a perfect program, and it does need to to have some discussion, to have some improvements. I think anybody, quite frankly, and I've heard people in our industry, uh, I won't mention specific names, say that the 510K should not be changed. I think, quite frankly, they're naive. Um, and I think that that's not uh, uh, that that's not serving our industry. We have to be honest. We have to be able to acknowledge not just what we do well, but where the problems are, so that we can talk about them and figure out how to fix them and how to ultimately world the, make the world a better place. Most recently, one of the um, uh, possible fixes that FDA is proposing for the 510K is to limit the substantial equivalence arguments to devices that have been brought onto the market within the last 10 years. In other words, what now, right now the regulation says that we need to have a uh, predicate to compare our device to in order to, um, in order to be successful with our 510K. The regulation does not say how recent or how old that predicate could be. It just says that we have to have a predicate. One of the, the the recent suggestions, and by the way, this is not recent, Sean. We, some of us have been talking about these things for a long time, is to limit that predicate selection to the last 10 years. What they're really trying to get at is, in my opinion, one of the most significant problems of the 510K, and that is something called predicate creep. Predicate creep. Uh, I don't know if everybody in the audience is familiar with that, Sean, um, but basically what that means is if we bring our device onto the market today is a 510K comparing it to a device that was brought onto the market, say, two years ago, over that small period of change, period of time, that change was not significant. The one, the device that was brought onto the market two years ago was compared to the device that was on, to, on the market two years before that. So once again, over that small increment of time, that change is not significant. When you consider those changes over small increments of time, 
each of those individual changes can be considered insignificant. However, when you start adding up all of these changes over the 40 plus years that we've been playing this game since 1976, now those changes start to become significant. And in a nutshell, this is predicate creep. And this is, uh, as I said, one of the most significant challenges to, um, uh, to the 510K. The question is, how do we fix it? Well, I have never been in favor of imposing a regulatory requirement um, saying that I have to use a device that's been brought onto the market within five years or 10 years or whatever the number is, uh, because that's going to really hamstring me both as a biomedical engineer as well as a regulatory professional. I think the better solution is that we should be responsible for those choices. In other words, I want to be able, and I've done this many times, go into the FDA and say, I'm bringing my device onto the market as a 510K my predicate is this device that was brought onto the market, say, 25 years ago. Um, before I tell you why I'm using this device from 25 years ago, let me tell you why I'm not using these other devices that were brought onto the market more recently. In other words, one of my basic strategies when I deal with the FDA, and I'm as you know, Sean, I'm down there at least once a month, usually more, um, is I want to demonstrate that I know what the heck I'm doing, that I am a responsible professional and that I know uh, what all of my options are, and I want to be able to justify not just what I'm doing but what I'm not. So... Uh, the five, so, so I think having discussions about how to improve the 510K overall is a good thing. You know, we, we use the phrase in quality, continuous improvement. That should apply to regulatory and to regulation as, as well. There are some other proposed changes that are, people are talking about for the 510K, but I think the one that's drawing the most discussion as of late is this 10-year uh, limitation on predicates. Does that make sense, Sean? Yeah, absolutely. And uh and the other thing that uh with regard to that that I I'd, I'd ask you is if you're using a predicate device that is only 2 years ago, but that device used a predicate device that was 2 years ago and that used a predicate I mean, I, you see where I'm going. It goes back 15 years. Would the submitting company of the newest device know that all those prior devices or at least the the one prior to them used a predicate device that was you know, two years older and used a predicate device that was, you know, would, would the submitting company have any paper trail to follow to know that their device ultimately is being predicated, predicated on a device that is 15, 16, 17 years old? It's an interesting question, Sean. I would like to think that they would know that. Um, I would like to think that you know, as a professional biomedical engineer, as a regulatory professional, um, I would know that for the devices that I am involved with. After all, this is part of my basic regulatory due diligence. But there is no regulatory requirement uh, saying that companies have to track that. And by the way, I find it also interesting, um, going off on a short tangent for a moment when we talk about post-market surveillance, there's no regulatory or quality requirement to continuously monitor for problems of predicate devices. In other words, companies will keep an eye, obviously, uh, for uh, problems with their particular device. But it seems to me that if your device is brought onto the market by arguing that it's similar to this other device, you should also have an obligation to monitor for problems with the other device because it stands to reason if there's a problem with the other device, 
that problem might affect your device since your device is so similar to the other one. Unfortunately, Sean, we don't have a regulatory requirement to, uh, to require companies to do that, at least not yet. I would like to think that we would not need a regulatory requirement to remind companies to do that. I would like to think that companies would do that anyway because, quite frankly, it's the right thing to do. It's the responsible thing to do. But unfortunately, Sean, I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday, and there are companies out there that regrettably will only do what they are required to do and not one bit more. So again, having discussions, as opposed, as, especially as we approach the end of this year and enter the new year, of how to continue to um, uh, improve the world and make the world a better place, I think is always a positive thing. Well, it, as, you, as you, you make those comments, it, it comes back to me. It's, a, it's another Mike, uh, Mike Drew's-ism uh, where it's, you know, the company's just doing what they need to do to check the box, and, and you are not a proponent of that by any means, as, as uh, I've learned and as anybody who's listened to several of these uh, Mike on MedTech podcasts has learned. Well, thank you, Sean, for that, uh, for that compliment. I would just put a small... Uh, I, I would just spin that a slightly different way. I'm not against checking the boxes if the boxes make sense. But if That's the fair. boxes <laughs> don't make sense and we check them anyway, and then the question is what boxes are not on the list? Uh, you know what I mean? So, right. uh, but anyway, your point is well taken. Thank you. And, and this, this other point goes to your, your comment about post-market surveillance. I mean, I, kn I know you've mentioned it during our bleeding edge uh, discussions that a predicate device that's been recalled can be still used as a predicate device, but that would also go to the, to the post-market surveillance if your, if your predicate device has not been recalled and is just you know, available on the market, uh, available for sale. And in that time, you know, you've submitted, you've gotten approved or, or clearance. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, that predicate device is recalled. You're still okay, but the predicate device, as you said, may have a problem that could affect your device or, or could be similar to a problem that you could have with your device. Well, just to be clear, Sean, um, uh, and this is an area that, in my opinion, was I don't want to say was was uh, deceptive in the bleeding edge, but it certainly was not presented very clearly. Congress did change the law a few years ago. If you're bringing a new device onto the market under the 510K, you cannot use a device as a predicate that was subject to a recall itself. But in my opinion, that was a total overreaction. I was not a fan of that fix because Congress did not go um, uh, specific enough to say why the recall was caused. In other words, if the recall was because of a design issue and your device is designed similar than, to the other device, then clearly, I mean, any monkey should know that it's probably not a good idea to bring your device onto the market if the design is similar. But if it's a manufacturing issue, for example, and you, that led to the recall and your device is manufactured via another manufacturing process or you've taken steps to... Um, mitigate or prevent that particular problem in your manufacturing process, uh, then we should be allowed to, uh, to, to use that as a, as a predicate. So this is one of many examples, Sean, where even though I'm a regulatory consultant, I am not a fan of creating new regulation to solve problems most of the time because more often than not, that new regulation actually causes more problems than it, than it solves. So I just wanted to be clear about... Um, 
uh, when we can use a recalled product and when not. The scenario that you also mentioned was <coughs> uh, also once the product is on the market. In other words, if you get your device on the market and there's a problem after that with the predicate, maybe a recall, then your device will probably not be affected, at least not directly. But I do think that any company that's playing in the medical device industry has an obligation uh, to, uh, to watch you know, what's happening across the board in their particular slice of the industry. And if there are problems with similar products from other manufacturers, they should know about them and they should perform some level of investigation to see if this is possible problem could, you know, might be able to affect us. Uh, I just think that that's the responsible thing to do. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I do appreciate that clarification. That's, that's definitely useful because my understanding was a little, little hazy, to say the least, then based on uh, the clarification you just provided. So that's uh, good information. Uh, it's certainly a confusing area. <laughs> which, which makes it all the, all the more troublesome. Uh, so, you know, we had a list of, uh, of five items in my holiday wish list, and we got to one. So I'm not sure if that says something about the topics that I was asking for or if that says something about, uh, you know, the, just the first item in general. But uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this episode. So we'll look to either address the uh, other topics at a later time or we'll look to uh, uh, do something else. But either way, we'll be back uh, soon with another mic on MedTech. So until then, if we don't speak to you before, everyone have a great holiday and, uh, and Happy New Year, and we will uh, speak to you soon. Thank you.